to be a radiologist, you have to literally be an expert in every single body part there is and every single modality to examine that body part. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. Today, I'm so excited to have Daniel Corbett on the podcast. I'll get into his bio in a second, but Dan recruited his first radiologist in 1987 and talks to radiologists all day, every day. So I could think of no one better to talk radiology with than Dan Corbett, who's had a front row seat into the industry for many, many years. Dan Corbett is the founder and chief of business development of Radiology Business Solutions. His 32 years of experience in the field of physician staffing and consulting. He has written and spoken to a diverse group of audiences about radiology business issues, recruiting, retention, practice compensation, practice models, and other areas of the business of radiology that are big interest to the listeners of this show. Dan is also a contributing writer for Ant Mini, Radiology Today, and Radiology Business. You might have seen some of his work coming through your inboxes. He's widely recognized as an industry leader in the radiology job market and is responsible for all the marketing and business development for Radiology Business Solutions. Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Daniel. So start us off. How did you get into this field? What drew you into radiology? How'd you end up here? And tell us about some of the early days of your career. Wow. That, you know, that's where we're really going back right now. <laughs> A long way. So, uh, you know, I, like I said, I started off, you know, wanting to go to college and then uh, realized I signed up for University of Michigan. Actually, the Dearborn campus is by where I grew up. And after the first three months, I said, no, this is not for me. You know, I didn't know what I was going to do. But my mother uh, was the ch uh, chief emergency nurse at uh, an old hospital called Wayne County General Hospital, which is a U of M affiliate um, in the west, far western suburbs of Detroit. It's, you know, torn down now, but most people would recognize it is because it's on the same campus as Eloise, which is the old mental institution, which is supposed to be haunted and that. But, but anyway, so she said, uh, hey, why don't you come over and, you know, join the x-ray tech program that they have there, which was the, you know, so I, I, you know, I said, why not? So I did the two-year x-ray tech program and I actually loved it, the clinical, the, you know, the technical part of it and all that. And um, graduated, when I graduated in 1982, Two, of course, there were hardly any x-ray jobs at all. So uh, I ended up working at Oakwood Hospital in Dearborn as uh, a therapy tech. So as, you know, simulator tech, you know, doing all the, you know, the simulator setups for the therapy. And I ended up, you know, moving into therapy. And I did that until 1986 when I got tired of all my patients dying. Oncology is you got to have a, a golden heart to work in oncology. So, yeah. so, it, so my father uh, owned a company. He actually, you know, had purchased it or, you know, off of originally Miss, Miss Davis and Christine Davis and Pearl Davis and Christine Smith. They had the, they were like one of the first staffing companies in the, in the country. These were two uh, nurses from Canada who uh, moved to Detroit during the war and they started uh, after the war, they were occupational health nurses working at the factories. Actually, they worked at uh, Willow Run making when they were, they made the liberators during the war. So these mm -hmm. two ladies that when the war ended, they decided to open up a, a staffing business to help their fellow nurses find work. So Davis Smith was founded in 1946 and uh, Mrs. Smith and Mrs. 
uh, Davis, ran that company and grew it and hired my father actually the year I was born, 1962, which is really interesting. My, so my father had been in the business a long time and then he eventually bought it off of them. And interestingly enough, my father was the first person in the country to place a physician for a fee. He hmm. got a call from uh, Henry Ford Hospital at the time and said, hey, listen, you know, we need an anesthesiologist. Can you find one? And my, my dad said, hey, listen, uh, you know, I don't know a lot of people. He ended up getting that doctor signed and the, the fee was 200 bucks, <laughs> which is a far cry from where it is today. So, yeah, so he has and, and my father was eventually uh, started and was a president uh, of the National Association of Physician Recruiters. So he eventually, you know, because so he networked with every physician recruiter in the country. And we did find out that he he eclipsed most physician recruitment by at least a decade. It was, mm. it was crazy. So anyway, he asked me if I was interested in his business. And so in 1987, uh, late 86, early 87, I joined his, his company and learned the physician recruitment business. And like I said, I placed my first doctor in 1987. And, and, and I was hoping that I would be able to use my radiology expertise, you know, to recruit radiologists. But at the time, there's, you know, radiologists didn't, they didn't need recruiting, any recruiting services or anything like that. And, and so I did cardiology and neuro, neurosurgery and, um, you know, all the high-end specialists. And then I kind of really got into the practice part, the dynamics of, you know, how to get a physician to sign with a practice. I mean, most recruiters even today don't really get into the guts of it, you know? So, so I, in the, in the eighties, you know, this is pre-internet, how are you finding these doctors and placing them? Are you looking I, through the, there, the there white a, pages? Yeah, I mean, there was a company that's still around today called Medical Marketing Lists, and they're the primary list company for the AMA, and you could go buy lists. But unfortunately, then there weren't a lot of phone numbers and things like that. So you, you literally had to grab a name, look them up, get the phone number. And, you know, so it was a lot of cold calling. It was, mm -hmm. it was a whole different world than it is now. When I started, when I started with my dad's company, I mean, they still, they had documents that were still on onion skin. If you remember what that is, oh. <laughs> for paper, you know, <laughs> so it, it was, it was, it was really interesting. So, but I did that, um, you know, specialty stuff all the way through until probably 1996 or seven is when the first, you know, rumblings of the first radiologist shortage came up. And, and we, uh, we, we started a, a locums company at the time. My wife ran the locums company, developed it from scratch. And, um, and so, you know, locums gets the call you know, when the shortage, all any shortage manifests, you start to see a, the increase in the call for locum. So she, she noticed that all of a sudden we're getting radiology stuff. So it just went crazy from there. So in 1999, I signed 33 individual radiologists to private practices. It was like just absolutely crazy, crazy time. So what was going the, on in the world in 1999? Why, and, why was there such a big shortage? In 1999, that, that's, that's when the, the shortage, first shortage really manifested itself. And it yeah. was, a, you know, a combination of uh, a lot of the, like similar today, a lot of the old, you know, senior radiologists were all retiring. And I think that the, the residency programs were kind of at a low Radiology was just at that time heavily moving into, you know, the DICOM era, you know, um, mm -hmm. where everything was digital. 
and that's how we got through that. Um, I, I make this point quite often is, is that I think the shortage was as deep as it was uh, back, back then as it is now. But back then we were moving out of film into digital and radiologists productivity increased significantly due to that. And so whereas we had most, uh, most groups were short like they are today, the volumes were going up, but they figured out how to increase those volumes per radiologist by using efficiency. You know, PAX was, was really maturing at the time, um, you know, so everything was, was going digital and that's what got us through. But the shortage came on significantly and rather quickly to where it literally destroyed quite a few private practices where radiologists, they, they just couldn't recruit, they couldn't keep up and the, pra the practices just had nothing else to, uh, other to do than just give the hospital notice that we're gonna fall apart, we can't recruit. You know, a lot of them got uh, subsidies from the hospital, you know, to get, you know, financially, you know, more competitive out there. But the bottom line is you and I both know that in any particular market, the, the, the amount of money that a radiology group or a radiologist earns is directly related to the volume that they read and the reimbursement that they get, you know? So it's not mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the pie can get bigger or smaller at any given time, you know, unless somebody puts money into the pie. And so a lot of hospitals subsidized the groups back then to keep them afloat. So, and then, so that's kind of where RBS started. Um, I was heavily into recruiting, um, you know, basically nothing but radiologists at the time. That's, I dropped everything and went to radiology. So um, I was uh, kind of the expert at the time for radiology recruitment. And I got a call from one of the in-house recruiters at a uh, hospital in Kalamazoo, Michigan, who said, hey, listen, I, you know, was very secret squirrel. You need to sign a non-disclosure agreement and come over here and meet with our, our, you know, our C-suite. We have a major radiology problem. So I figured, hey, what, whatever, let's go. So I went over there and met with them and they announced that their group, which was CalRAD at the time, which was one of the oldest radiology practices in the country, uh, still probably is, um, even though they're, they're not CalRAD anymore, they're completely different, but they had both of the big hospitals in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and they were struggling to recruit and they just could not find enough people. So instead mm. of what they basically took their weakest link and gave them notice that we're contracting, we're going back down to one hospital because we can't maintain the staffing for two. So the hospital basically got 90 day notice that they were going to lose all their radiology provider services. And they were just shocked and had no idea what to do. So, you know, so they, wow. they I asked them, what, what are you going to do? You know, well, we've had the big recruiting companies in here, Time, Jackson and Coker, Delta, you know, all the, the big ones. And, and I said, well, you know, so what did they suggest? They said, well, yeah, you just go ahead and, you know, you guys employ them and we'll, uh, you know, get, give us, you know, eight retainers. They needed eight FTE radiologists and give us eight okay. retainers and we'll recruit them for you, right? <laughs> and I just laughed. I said, that's not going to happen. You guys, and, it, and it no longer costs $200, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Not, we're at like 30 grand a pop right there. So, but anyway, uh, I just told them that would absolutely fail and you guys are going to spend a lot of money and get nothing. Um, and they, you know, asked why, I said, because, employing radiologists remember this is 1999 i said yeah employing radiologists is not going to work the specialty is is 
too diverse. There are you know, too many different modalities. No radiologist is, is the same. They have to have skin. And they're also very smart business-wise. Um, you know, they're not the same as internists or cardiologists or ED docs. You know, they're a whole different breed of cat. So they, they said, what would you do? And I said, well, you need another private practice. I said, I think we should build you a new private practice from scratch. Because even in a short market, it was still, you know, partnership tracks were still long and starting to come down. And I said, if we, you know, advertise that we're building a new practice and we offer immediate parity for any new radiologist, you know, plank owner coming in, I said, I think we'll get candidates. And, yeah. you know, I could, you know, talk about the whole process, but the bottom line is, is within a period of four months, I had eight radiologists signed up and uh, we, you know, and that's where I met my current partners. Dr. Mark Weiss is, uh, was an IR radiologist and he, uh, he was practicing with a big group in uh, Saginaw and he called me because he was interested and he thought it was interesting concept and I tried to recruit him, <laughs> but uh, his my wife didn't want to move to, uh, Sue didn't want to move to Kalamazoo and, but he, he was fascinated and he really helped me with a lot of the stuff that I struggled with, which is a lot of the internal dynamics and, you know, corporate setup and stuff. And Mark knew my, my partner, Robert Schaefer, who is, uh, was an attorney with Klein Klein Griffin here in uh, Flint. And Robert was doing a lot of contract work with him. Actually, Robert was defending doctors, you know, in malpractice suits and stuff. But Robert kind of helped us do all the early contracts. And Julie, our chief financial officer, she was working with uh, Dr. Weiss and she's, you know, uh, really into the operation stuff and did all of our early pro formas. So the team kind of came together informally uh, in like late 2000, 2001. And we, we did this project and I got paid. Um, Dr. Weiss didn't make anything, but he just kind of followed along <laughs> with the project, you know, and it got done. And I thought, okay, that's, that was an interesting project. Boom, you know? And so a couple of months passed. Next thing I know, I get a call from St. John's Hospital in Detroit. We have a major radiology problem. We heard you're the guy to fix it, you know? Yeah, so we got the band back together and you know, one after another, after another. And so here it is now 2004. And we've already put like three groups together, you know, informally, uh, under my original company, Davis Smith. And, uh, and Dr. I remember Dr. Weiss and I, uh, he, you know, and my father who was at the time getting ready to retire, you know, sitting on the deck up and up by Crystal Lake, believe it or not, by where Mark had a, a second home talking about it. And we said, there's a business here. Dr. Weiss said, I'm, I'm done working for you for free because <laughs> <So, laughs> I was making all the money and he was just helping, you know, so we, we, we penciled out RBS on, on a napkin at the restaurant and formed the company and, uh, and off we went. And I think it was not even within that first year, we enticed Robert away from his uh, practice and, and Julie had moved on to one of our practices that we had uh, put together in uh, Massachusetts and she tutored there under one, I think, one of the most brilliant radiologists uh, I've ever met, a guy by the name of uh, Prakash Malkani uh, and, and his partner, Deepak Singh. These were guys, former uh, colleagues of Dr. Weiss's. And these guys were just absolutely amazing when it came to the operations of a private practice and finance. And they were really the seeds of the, of the compensation models that we're using right now. So, but we ended up, Julie got back. And so, you know, there was the four partners in, in RBS and, and off we were. So between that period of time, 2004 and 2009, we built like four or five more 
practices from scratch for hospitals that had lost their groups. Wow. Um, and, and that was, you know, kind of how we started. And then when that kind of dried up in 2009, which was after the last group that we built, when things stabilized really well, we just took everything we knew and we, we just went on the consulting trail. And we did, you know, hundreds of consulting projects with radiology groups that either had a contract renewal with the hospital coming up and, you know, they were at odds over either service requirements or, or finance. They either needed a subsidy and they couldn't just, they needed to justify it or that, you know, they had a subsidy and the hospital wanted to pull back and they needed to justify it. Um, so yeah, all of the, the contract negotiations, we did lots of those. And then we kind of evolved into what we called our, our overall operational efficiency uh, type of project where a radiology group would hire us and we come in with our team, which always included radiologists and you know the finance people and everything and we would do a top-down complete analysis of the practice uh you know finance staffing efficiency contracts you know internal governance everything with the practice and write these big reports on yeah when you do those analyses i'm just curious you know you come into a group for the first time but you've been helping 100 groups Mm -hmm. what are the top three things you're finding (laughs) that they're doing wrong uh, or maybe wrong is harsh, but opportunities for improvement to put a more yeah, the, positive. You know, spin. there's there's always a common theme, and it, it always came down to internal dysfunction due to either money or workload. A lot of them centered around uh, interventional radiology, where you know the IRs are separated philosophically and financially and a lot from the group, the diagnostic radiologists are kind of subsidizing the IR because, you know, that's kind of when the 2000s, when everything got down into productivity and and efficiency and RVUs and, you know, how much, you know, you collect. And I mean, it's a fact that, you know, if you're re-diagnostics, you're going to collect a lot more money than you are doing IR procedures. But the fact is, is that IR is a critical part of of a radiology practice because they are the face of the group when it comes to the medical staff and the patients that mm-hmm. the IR guys are the ones that everybody recognizes because they're, they're meeting these people. So they're kind of a lost leader of the group. They sure. don't make as much money, but they, they contribute in so many other ways, because if they have a, a patient who's that they embolize it from a car accident and that patient, you know, uh, his wife is, you know, gonna, she's the one who's going to want to keep going to that hospital to get her mammograms and all the other kind of stuff. So that's just kind of how it works. Right. So we did a lot of these early projects on how to, um, you know, bring IR and diagnostic radiology. And Dr. Weiss was just absolutely phenomenal with this. He was a radiologist, but he understood the business. Um, he was also fantastic in liaising with the hospital medical staffs and, uh, and more importantly, C-suite. I think he was the one radiologist that I've, I'd ever met that could talk to an yeah. administrator and for some reason they just loved him they you know he, he was brutally blunt and he you know said what he needed to say but for some reason they just they just trusted him and and listened to him so he was able to facilitate a lot of these you know uh, deals and and make these problems go away for these hospitals and these groups so it was okay it was so so ir versus dr and getting the model right and making everyone happy and then Both personally, and, workload-wise, financially, is one one common theme. What's another? What's another theme? That you uh, usually, you know, hours of service, uh, coverage, and call. Those are always mm-hmm. always issues. A lot of them 
when you get down to it, it comes down to the internal dynamic. And we still see it today where, you know, the difference between, you know, all radiologists are not the same. You got somebody that is absolutely loses no sweat over reading 90 RVUs in a nine hour shift. And then you've got one who's absolutely struggles to do 50 you know, and is murdering themselves over it. And that's just the way human beings work, you know. But most radiology practices were basically, you know, equal share practices where once you're a partner, you know, they pay the bills and divide up all the money and they divide it amongst themselves, you know. So that dynamic between the one that's, you know, reading twice the volume of the other one and getting paid the same amount of money is has always been an issue with the group. And the bigger the group, uh, the more that that spread becomes and the more internal, you know, discourse there is. And, and it literally can destroy groups. So, yeah. you know, we basically worked hard and, and that's kind of where the compensation model evolved. Uh, and we implemented it with some of our early groups. And it's not right for all practices, but with the bigger groups, and not when I say bigger, I say 15 plus, you know, all the way up to 100 the model works great because what we do is we we make it not all about productivity, but you also have to be able to uh, incentivize the less productive people because private practice is more than just reading a film and billing an RVU. You know, yeah, there's there's a lot more to it. So yep. so our model was based on um, a certain percentage of the radiologist income coming from production RVUs and the rest coming from shifts that they work. Because Dr. Weiss always said, there, you only have two things to give. You've got your knowledge and you've got your time. And that's true for everything, not just where you are. So why should we, we have to do, build a model based on some really smart people, you know, but their time is valuable too, but they're, they're not gonna be able to produce the revenue. I mean, so every one of these models is slightly different depending on the group and desire. Where does the dial usually fall between productivity and sort of base? Well, it's interesting um, because every group gets to choose that. And we have them that are, they, they move like 70% is based on productivity and 30% mm -hmm. is based on shifts. And we have others that are, are the opposite, that they want 60%, you know, lifestyle groups are 60% based mm -hmm. on shifts and they de-emphasize the productivity and others are just, just go 50-50. And the beauty of the model is, is that you can tweak it, you know, um, as time goes sure. on, you, you know, starting a, a comp model like that is, is very uh, labor intensive process because you have to have absolute buy-in from every one of the partners yep. in the practice. Because it, it could be destroyed by just a couple people, you know. So, so when you're coming into groups then and, and giving them a new comp model, do they already usually have some sort of productivity model, but it's not working? Or are they like, you know, sometimes it's a partnership and they just split everything, whatever, yeah, 20 percent, 20, a fifth, a fifth, a fifth, and then you go in and, and there's all or this. Or the exact strategy. opposite. They're already <laughs> on some kind of comp model and it's and it's destroying the group because everybody's cherry picking and it's being gained. Ah, so there's their productivity base and everyone's working hard and, and, and nobody there's no there's no sheriff in town monitoring it 
right? <laughs> so they, so you know, there's a lot of reasons, you know, why yeah. it happens. And there, there are a bunch of different models out there, and they can work if they're implemented properly and they're managed properly. That's probably the problem because most radiology yeah. groups, if they're a group of ten or fifteen or twenty or even fifty, they rarely have, you know, an internal management mechanism to be the sheriff. Most groups these size, they've got really brilliant operations people that do all the stuff that we do in our in our practice. But they're really though, you know, very few of them are are willing to go and say, hey, you know, point out Dr. Jones who's been, you know, squeaking the system and, and you yeah. know, manipulating yeah. everything, right? So you got that, you have to have strong governance, you have to have a strong uh, you know, leadership and you have to have strong operations to make it work. But if you do it right and implement it, it can make all of these problems go away. Every yeah. group that we've, we've worked with and implemented a compensation model and done the process correctly, meaning got the buy-in from all the radiologists, find out what, what motivates them, taken our radiologist consultants and sat them in every seat. Not, I mean, not working, but just talking to the radiologist in this particular seat because you weight the shifts based on difficulty, complex, you know, the ones nobody want to work. So, you know, Dr. Weiss called them the murder shifts, you know, where you, you sitting at this hospital, you know, you're going to get erupted every two minutes. The pack's going to go down three times a day. You know, it's just one of those seats where you're getting murdered no matter what, you know, that one needs a higher shift differential than the outpatient yeah. facility, brand new outpatient facility where nobody's bothering you. You can crank through, you know, yeah. 90 RVUs in a day, right? Because <laughs> in the murder seat, you'd be lucky to make 40, right? Yeah. So everyone has yeah. a value. So, so in those particular seats where you can't be productive, you're going to get paid a higher shift value. So if the day normal day shift is one or whatever it is, I mean, outpatient shift may be 0.9 and the hospital shift may be 1.2, you know, weekends so, are 1.5. So, so financial models, you know, fair financial compensation models are a, a common theme. Are there other common, maybe a third most common theme uh, that you find with these groups? Yeah, hospital, hospital relationships. That's, mm. that's always the one. There's always you know, some kind of tension between the hospital, whether it's, you know, it's financial or service. And man, we did so many of them with just bad blood, bad um, behavior, um, you know, radiologists, doctors dealing with C-suites. I think it happens, you know, pretty much along specialties, but for some reason, until there's a threat that they're going to go away, most hospital administrators don't really understand radiology and they don't yeah. understand, you know, most of the medical staff too, you know, those radiologists, you know, he pulls up in his Corvette and he goes into his little black hole and, you know, he comes back out and then he takes 12 weeks vacation. You know what? But they don't realize how much they absolutely rely on the radiologist read and, and you know, till the threat of it is going away, you know, yeah. because the radiologist, radiology is the pillar. Is it competitive out there right now for, you know, your groups? Are they getting threatened by the hospitals that they'll go to another no. group? No, not our, not our groups. I mean, and, and, you know, I, I think with in a shortage scenario, like we are, you know, there's, there's security that, that there's nobody out there that has the manpower to take over whole contracts. It's, it's a force that's going to collide here once a lot of this stuff shakes out because whenever you're, and that's what happened 
back in the late 90s, early 2000s during the first shortage is, is, you know, there were a lot of groups, big groups that started, you know, in the early 90s, taking over these hospitals and growing, growing. And so what they would do is, is they would, you know, take a hospital an hour and a half away and they would hire somebody, a radiologist and put them out there as their anchor, you know, and then they would, that would be their, their site. So those radiologists kind of felt like the redheaded stepchild, you know, where, you know, I'm part of this group, but I'm really isolated out here. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I do all the work, generate all the revenue and I'm not, I'm not getting paid uh, what I should be, you know? So there were a lot of abuse, abusive practices under that type of model. So, but when the shortage came, the next thing, you know, all the jobs started becoming available. They were the first person to leave. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden I don't need to be here and be all by myself and take this crap anymore. There's hundreds of jobs out there. So they would leave. And then the group would say, oh, well, we could try to find somebody to replace them, but they couldn't. So all of a sudden, all these contracts were available and these hospitals Mm. were left hanging because of that. So it's it's just kind of how the ebb and flow of business supply and demand, you know, that's the way the way the world works. Shifting gears a bit. So one of the roles that you play in in supporting your groups is recruiting. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how that's been going. Are you able to place jobs, you know, and and how are you cutting through the noise and, you know, talk to us a little bit about how recruiting is going. Yeah. Well, I mean, at my core, I I am a recruiter, you know, I mean, recruiting always gets such a bad rap, especially the private, you know, fee for service recruiters. I mean, I was one, And I think a lot of the recruiting companies do get a bad rap because, you know, they hire people to source and they really don't understand, you know, the details that somebody wants, you know, they're working off a script. So good or bad, um, recruiters have always been around, but the best recruiters are the ones that completely immerse themselves in their clients and the business and, and can answer any question a candidate may have. But because I am the recruiting responsible person for RBS and RBS is the accountable management back office for our private practice clients, I know there is to know about the group. I can answer all those questions because I'm on the So you act as the in-house recruiter for the dozen groups that RBS serves. Correct. Correct. So I'm, I am the first contact with all the recruits for them. I do all the marketing, you know, run all the ads, do all the emails, you know, all, all the screening, everything so that my, our client groups don't have to worry about it. And th- until I present a candidate to them, and then I present that candidate to them with as much information as they, they could ever need to make a, because I, you know, I build personal relationships with my candidates and answer all their questions and get to know them. And so, so I mean, what are I, candidates in uh, what are candidates in 2022 looking for? Oh, that's well, it all depends. I mean, obviously, the fellows are are always looking for their first job. That's always a, a move. But what I'm seeing now is, is that there's not a lot of radiologists that are are mobile. You know, as little as two or three years ago, almost all of my candidates were transplanted, going to move. You know, they went on site, interviewed. Did the family make sure the spouse was comfortable with the area and liked it and checked out the schools and it, just the way it's always been. Hmm. But right now with the, you know, the rapid evolution of teleradiology and COVID, which literally proved proof of concept 
<laughs> yeah. of how teleradiology works because uh, you know such a large percentage of the other radiologists out there just work from home and i think it just kind of proved to everybody that it could be done you know that has evolved to the point where most radiologists looking to make a change are not looking to move but are looking for a remote position and we could talk about that for a long time because that, that's evolving as we speak how that works and how that dynamic but your works. groups your groups can't support that is that accurate some of them do yeah we we're working on models in which they can't support that but okay. it's a philosophy it's a philosophy thing that has to happen you know at yeah. first it was a tough nut that most private practices you know so how do we hire a dedicated teleradiologist to be there and what how do we pay them how do we schedule them how do we do all this you know do they get full benefits do they get voting you know do they get partnership it's, it's really tough to do. And I think a lot of, because now there are no very few candidates making experienced doctors, excuse me, making moves. Most private practices right now are struggling with this. So you have seen in the last six months, the number of ads gone up for remote radiologists significantly, because I think the groups are just, we, we haven't got anybody to interview in the last five months on site. So and we're desperate. So what are the what are the hospitals going to do? Because it you know at some point some of these groups you know the older docs retire or move or whatever, and you got to get them in the hospital. No, you do, and that's that's the other thing. You know how do you, there's got to be a differential or a delta between yeah. the onsite radiologist and the remote radiologist. Well, and the other thing is the remote radiologist might be more productive. Well, we expect them to be more productive. And Absolutely. Then, and then they could be out earning the doctors on yeah. site. Well, and that's where the Delta comes into play. So most yeah. of our teleradiologists that we're hiring for our groups are employed by the, by the practice. They get full benefits and they, we have an expectation of productivity. Not, they don't get paid by the RVU. There, it's not a productivity-based model. We call our teleradiologists um, list decompressors. These are the people that are going to be the force multiplier in the group so that the sure. on-site radiologists can do all the crap that needs to be done and go to all the meetings and deal with all the on-site stuff and, and drive, you know, in the blizzard in the morning to go in. So, but the, the remote radiologists who may be working in Florida or Arizona or somewhere, their job is to crush the list as hard as they can to, so that the on-site radiologists can can go home at five o'clock and do what they need to do. And so sure. that philosophy and that model is, is that, that the remote radiologist for the ability to live wherever they want and never leave their house if they don't want to, you know, they're gonna make less than an on-site private pr practice doctor, but they're not going to be underpaid or, you know, all of our groups are paying higher than the going teleradiology rate. And if you look mm. at, the corporates or VRAD or any of the, you know, the other teleradiology. What, what the, yeah. What, what do you see as like the kind of going rate for teleradiology in the Delta between onsite? The, the Delta is somewhere around 20% difference, okay. you know, yeah. in, in what, you know, I mean, if you're an employee, you know, you're going to have some, you know, enough security as an employee, you're going to have a good contract, right? Yep. Um, and you're going to get paid. Um, some, some of them are just straight salaries with, uh, you know, expected reasonable expectations for production. 
Um, some of them have uh, bonuses that, you know, production bonuses, because if, if we're going to go ahead and hire somebody that's going to work 200 shifts a year and do, um, you know, we want them to do 65, average 65 RBUs a shift, you know, and then, you know, that works out, you know, $30 an RBU, whatever it is, you know, you're looking at a good base pay for somebody working from home, you know, and if yeah. there's a bonus over, over that 15,000 a year, you know, but if we get somebody that, you know, is super easy doing 80 a shift, we're going to want to incentivize that person to keep doing that sure. because it's another quarter. Are, of the, are the fellows, so you talked about the, um, experienced practitioners, but are the fellows looking for teleradiology or the fellows looking for, you know, just graduated from fellowship. Maybe I'm not where I want to be physically. Like I I did my fellowship on the East coast. I want to come back to the Midwest or whatever. It's kind of a problem for me. Um, You know, I, you know, I've been discouraging um, fellows from taking telerad jobs right out. Because if you don't have that experience in the hospital, you know, yeah, they, they did the residency and fellowship. So they've been in the hospital, but they've not had that dynamic of the other partners and, you know, being a, a, a responsible, you know, accountable radiologist as opposed to in training. You know, I, I think I think those the, the fellows that do jump out into teleradiology are doing themselves a disservice long term. You know, I think that if they get to the point where, I mean, they, they kind of lock themselves into being teleradiologists if they don't have that experience. So- you know, it's, it's funny. I'm a, so, you know, my full-time job is I'm CEO of, of Modality. We have about 30 employees and different field, but same thing. And, you know, I'm also discouraging our people that are coming right out of college or, you know, early in their careers to go remote right away. Cause there's so much that you learn. You're going to end up being a hermit. <laughs> whatever, whatever interpersonal skills you had are going to deteriorate. Yeah, totally. I think the big, the big thing that's lost is, is those interpersonal relationships right. outside of radiology, right. Where you're, you're serving the referring physicians you're serving the other people in the hospital or right. in the clinic or whatever it might be. And, and really learning, what that takes. Well, and there's and another, there's another side to it too. And that's the productivity side. You know, yeah. every, every radiologist out there remembers their first year in private practice. It was not yeah. easy. You know, the yeah. adjustment is hard, you know, and the really good groups out there understand that and they mentor their, their new fellows and yeah. they don't have unrealistic expectations for that first year. You know, now imagine that person not even being there and being able to be yeah. mentored or anything. So I, I don't think that's a good so okay, so you're 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 talking to fellows and you're saying, okay, don't do teleradiology. You give them your old man on the couch spiel, yep. and let's say you get through to them. That's great. What what else are the fellows looking for? Uh, they're they're really looking for security. That's the biggest thing right now. I think that there's enough insecurity or you know uncertainty out there in radiology that you know it's funny about you know I I, I normally hire five to eight fellows a year for the last 20 years I mean for our group so I'm I'm constantly talking to all the fellows coming out of training and I and you're right that the fatherly on the couch thing I, that that's what I kind of picture my role <laughs> being as the old man who's who's been around the block and can give that kind of advice and and like I said I so I always guide them to you know through the process of okay what what motivates what's what's your biggest thing right now is it geography is it money? Is it work style, life balance? Is it vacation? Is it, you know, when do you see, are you one of those guys that are looking for 
or gals that are looking for a really good, stable, long-term practice, or are you looking to, to make as much as you can and retire at 50? You know, I want to get in their heads and figure it out because I want to, I, I want the, that first job to be better. You know, in the past, I used to call it two and out, you know, they would take their first job and then they make them make a mistake. And two years later, they're gone. I have hired more people, more radiologists that are in the second or third year of their first private practice than I have fellows because That's they inevitably, yeah. you know, make mistakes or whatever. You know what's so, so it's so interesting. Same, same story. I went to um, Harvard business school. That's where I got my MBA. It's a two-year program. Most people that have gone into Harvard business school, they've done four to six years of work experience at somewhere else, maybe banking, consulting, mm -hmm. tech, whatever it might be. And then they want a career change. They go to, they go to business school and then it helps them get a new job. 50% of people are in a new job after two years, same exact story in a, right. in a different industry and about people the same age in their late twenties, early thirties, their first big, big girl yeah. job, you know, where they've got some real responsibility and everyone chooses poorly. It's so <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it, it, It's just, it's human nature, I guess, you know, and again, a lot of it comes down to how good of uh, salespeople, the higher hiring people are. You know, yeah. I mean, every, let's face it, every, anytime you get a group of doctors together, there's going to be some kind of dysfunction somewhere, you know, there's always going to be some greed, there's always going to be some manipulation, there's always, this is just human nature, right? So, yeah. but some groups are really good at hiding it. <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, you, you feel all warm and fuzzy, this is great, wow, these guys are making killer money, and they're doing whatever, and I, I can't wait, and they get on board, and then, you know, the skeletons start coming out of the closet and they realize that they're working, you know, the extra weekends and the extra call and all this, you know, as an associate, you're, is, it, so it all comes down to the philosophy of the group and how the, how the group works. So, and there's, a, there are a lot of groups out there that don't do well, you know, and they, they don't, they're not honest. And, you know, so the, the radiologist comes and they work their butt off for two years and they say, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they, then they're out back out looking. And so when they do come back out, then they're super paranoid. I, I know I got, I have one of my two and out candidates because the, they, they got their list of questions in front of them, you know, that are you know, <laughs> this, that, you know, tell me about this and all this, they got to get all those questions answered before they, they even want to consider interviewing. And, and I get that and I'm prepared for that, but that's why, why I think recruiters for the most part, uh, don't do well in radiology outside fee recruiters don't do well in radiology because of how complex that is you know the, the modalities and the shifts and you know all of the different stuff the the, the tech the packs you know it, it's hard unless you're you are really into radiology you're not going to know those questions and you can't answer those off of a, a, a bullet list you know yeah so the radiologists tend to talk to you know a recruiter gets a hold of one of those radiologists and the radiologist dismisses them right off the bat because they don't know what they're talking about you know but there yeah. are some really good radiology recruiters out there like me who've been doing it a long time and you know they're they're in demand and they do well because they they know that so so um, what are some of the other factors that, the, that either fellows or people kind of looking, you know, two years out of fellowship are looking for, you know, compensation is a big one. Maybe yeah, lifestyle, lifestyle has been a huge thing, you know. Um, has that changed? It has. Oh, it has. I mean, you know, the, the change from, from when I started 20 years ago uh, to now has been huge. I mean, back then it was, you know, they were all still, you know, the boomers um, that, you know, have a completely different 
you know, attitude and they were, you know, work hard, play hard, you know, um, give the practice your all, make as much as you can, um, you know, maximize the, uh, the retirement benefits. And, you know, that's, that's just the attitude, the way it was. They expected to come out and work hard and work often. Um, and that's just the way it was. But now, you know, the, we're seeing that, you know, across the board, you know, the millennials and the Gen Zs and all the people that it's just the world is changing. And I think, you know, technology has a lot to do with that and communications and everything, but they're, they're not so focused anymore on making the killer buck. Now, it's, it's still there. They, you know, when it comes time to negotiate pay and, they, and they're still making decisions based on, on, you know, which group will pay them more and so forth. That's just human nature too. But there are other factors. It's not just the money or just the location. You know, in, in years past, I mean, it was very easy for a radiology fellow to come out and say, hey, listen, you know, I can go live in the suburbs of this big city and make X, or I can go move to this smaller town in the middle of the country, uh, which is rather isolated and make Z, which is 30% more than X. So it's just a simple factor that, you know, talk to the, to the spouse and say, hey, can we deal with this little town for eight, 10 years? Uh, you know, sure. to build up our nest egg, or if you want to be a, you know, a sub suburbanite, then we're going to make less. That's just the way sure. the world works. But now there's more to that. There's, you know, uh, there's time off, there's call schedule frequency, there's, um, you know, the, the ability to work at home, um, you know, have a workstation. Are radiologists working less today than they were 20 years ago? No, I think they're working more. And I think they're working. That's so well, weird to uh, me. The, those two things sound really incompetent. They're, they're completely opposite. squaring this because because you're like, hey, you know, these lazy millennials, all they want is work-life balance and they want you know you know, to work yeah, from I home agree. and they never want to work nights or weekends. But then you also say they work more than the their predecessors. Because you know what? Believe it or not, it's, and it's not that they can't work that hard because they can. It's that just they yeah. don't want to. And when they have to, they bitch loud. <laughs> it's, it's, so they're it's, just you know, whining. They're, they, they, they are voice. fully capable and to do it. And you know, and I, you know, I, I know some have recruited some young radiologists that are in our groups that I would, you know, these they are absolutely amazing at what they do and all that. And 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 it's funny. And I talk to them, and then they're like, "Yeah, God, this call is killing me." Or, "Oh my God, I'm on again next weekend," and it's just absolute murder, you know. But they're not looking to leave. They know it's part of the the deal and yep. they're getting compensated amazingly for it. But you know, what motivates them, I think most is if what they want is uh, security through transparency, honesty, democracy, they really want to join groups mm -hmm. that, you know, and that's one thing we're really good at is to, the transparency thing, you know, because if you have a third party management team, you know, um, we work for all the doctors in the group, not just, you know, we work for the corporation or the, the, the practice, not these three guys who happen to be the senior guys or whatever it is. So that transparency is great. So, I mean, the interview experience with me and our, our groups is, is very open and uh, you get information download. You know, I've talked to, you know, some of the candidates that I've, I've taken on interview and I've, I'm driving around and I'm saying, you know, I've been on three other interviews so far and I don't think I've got just a tenth of this stuff that you filled my brain with, you know, you, I'm not, you got any questions? Nope. You know, 
So <laughs> some groups, you know, do it better than others. But I think that transparency and that overload of information and the fact that we are wide open about the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, here's what it is. They, they, they can have a comfort level that they know what they're getting into. Whereas, you know, a lot of the radiologists I've worked with over the years said, you know, I went in thinking I knew what I was getting and I got, I had no idea what I was getting. Yeah. And it was, and that's what, why I'm um, that. how is demand, how is demand changing um, for specialization? What are you seeing there? Yeah, I think it's everybody easy. in the country's specialized uh, yeah. now. Are people able to just come in and, and read, you know, just neuro or, or just MSK? What's that no. looking like? No, I think I think the industry went overboard um, on the whole subspecialization thing, um, you know, 10 years ago when it started. Um, you know, radiologists have always done fellowships because radiology is the one specialty where there is so much to know. I mean, radiologists are at a level, you know, so much higher than, than other doctors that this is what I do. You know, I'm a cardiologist. I do the heart. This is what I do. You know, you've got guys that, do, you know, that I'm an EP guy or, you know, interventional guy, whatever it is. But radiologists, to be a radiologist, you have to literally be an expert in every single body part there is and every single modality to examine that body part. So, you know, so self-specialization was a natural in the sense that, you know, hey, listen, not one guy can, can know everything there is to know about MSK and neuro and body, you know, uh, at the same time. So the fellowship thing is a great idea in fully understanding that a radiology group is a group. And so if you get if you have 10 radiologists in your group and two of them are neuro guys and two of them are MSK guys and three of them are body guys and and you know that's the whole concept to be able to do that but to be completely subspecialized is is still in the realm of academics and mega groups that are big enough and have such a wide footprint that they can afford to have somebody do 100% of their subspecialty. So most, most private practices still, and I, and I consider this you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, even 100 radiologists or less, it's, they're still going to be somewhat diluted in their, in their subspecialty. Most of our groups, you know, it's 50-50. You know, yeah. if, you got, if you're a neuro person, you come out, you know, they're gonna, we're gonna try to give you as much neuro as you can, but it's gonna probably be 50-50. But you still have to be able to, to work your weekend or your afternoon shift and, and hold your own. Well, uh, shameless plug, that's where, uh, that's what we're seeing too and in, in where we believe our training tools can really help groups. Um, the number one reason people use the platform that we built um, is to learn a new subspecialty for this very reason. Right. You know, they, they train in one area and then they get into the real world and they go, oh, shoot. Yeah, I, I, do, I, I deal with that all the time. I get, you know, <laughs> that says, hey, and my ask is, you know, I, tell, me, tell me what you can, what you can do, what you like to do, but tell me what you can't do. I need to know what yeah. you can't do. And, and if it's, you know, if I, the group has, you know, it's a small group and, you know, just the way it works is, you know, you, you're on, if you're on call, you're on weekend, you got to do a nephrostomy you know, you got to figure out how to learn how to do nephrostomies. And if you absolutely don't want to do nephrostomies, then you don't want to interview with this group because this is what yeah. it is. And I'm, I'm just using that as an example, but you know, there are some groups where you have to do absolutely everything. And so a lot of times they'll, the groups will, will take into consideration that and then they'll, they'll mentor them and they'll oversee them and get them up to speed. 
But you know, what you're offering is the ability, oh my God, I'm joining a new practice and I got to do this. You know, um, if I can go do this online training and get all this stuff and do it. Hey, that's, that's awesome. All right. Well, this has been a super fun conversation. I, I can't wait to, to do it again soon. Maybe we'll, we'll meet up live here as we head into RSNA. Last question for you, Crystal Ball. Um, since you've been through this rodeo once before, how does, how does it correct, you know, where, where <laughs> do we see the market start to turn in, in, into a more normal, uh, balance? Daniel, I'm, I ask myself that every night before I go to bed, I'm trying to pull out the crystal <laughs> ball and see what's going to happen. And at this time, I just don't know, you know, the last time around we, we had, the, you know, the, the whole DICOM revolution, which increased the, doubled the efficiency of the radiologists over film. And that's what saved us last time. This time, everybody's thinking that it's, you know, AI. And at first I was like, you know, AI is just not ready to do that. But I've been hearing, man, there's some stuff coming on with AI that is pretty amazing. I've been talking to a couple of guys, you know, people that have, you know, products out there and, uh, and I'm not going to plug anybody at this point in time, but the reality is, is as a force multiplier and as an efficiency gainer, the AI can play a, a role. And I think that, you know, anything significant, if it's like two to 4%, whatever it is, efficiency gain, you know, that's, that, that just varies that much on a day, depending on how you feel for any radiology, yep. right? But when you're talking about 20 plus percent, now you're talking about for every five radiologists, it's an one FTE. That can, yep. that can be a real thing. So I think that's uh, the RSNA this year is going to be very interesting. And, and I do have a couple of uh, friends, colleagues that are involved in the AI thing. And, and I find it just fascinating. But I've changed my tune and I do think that AI will be uh, a force that will help us in a reasonable amount of time. It's ne never going to take over the job of a radiologist. I mean, that's, that's just foolishness. That's crazy. But it will be a powerful tool to increase the efficiency of radiologists. And that's, that's what we need at this point in time, because we're all of a sudden not going to start minting new radiologists any more than we are, have been. You know, the residency and the fellowships are all fixed. Um, so, you know, so, and, it, and we still have this huge bolus of radiologists that are out there that are amazingly productive, far beyond the retirement age. Yep. Our groups have them. I mean, I, I know a lot of these guys that are, you know, in their late sixties, early seventies, and they are amazingly accurate and amazingly productive. And they'll, they're only working as long as they're having fun. You know, these guys don't need the yep. money anymore. Some of them do, but most of them don't. And they, and they love radiology and they, and they love their practice and their partners. So they're hanging on, they're hanging on while we're, while we're recruiting. But eventually that time is going to come. So hopefully through a combination of, of tech and, you know, perseverance and, and most importantly, private practices being flexible in trying to find models and ways to integrate every, my saying right now, is that every radiologist has value. Every radiologist that if you have one eye and you can speak English, you have value as a radiologist, right? So, but you have to find out what that value is and how to make it work. It's gotta work for both sides. So, you know, hiring, you know, somebody that's unproductive at full partner pay is not good for the group. So the groups need to be flexible. They need to look at each candidate and say, what does this candidate bring, bring to us? And what are we willing to pay and what are we willing to do to make that deal work? 
And, you know, and if either side is desperate, it's not going to work. So, so that flexibility, I think, is what's going to make it come through in the, in the end. So, but you and I can talk about 15 other different subjects uh, as, as we move forward. So feel free to call to do another one. Would love that. Dan, thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, my, my pleasure. And like I said, let's, let's do another one. We can talk about a lot of different things. Would love that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at the radiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online.